Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Araminta Show. Take a look at me Get the picture fixed in your memories I'm driven by the rhythm like the beat of a heart And now I won't stop until I start to stand out To stand out Some people settle for the typical things Living all their lives waiting in the wings It ain't a question of if, just a matter of time to a new episode of Casual Chats. I am Patricia, and I am here with very special guests. Uh, I am here once again with Aaron Meta from The Aaron Meta Show. Welcome back, Aaron. Hey, everybody. Eli, a.k.a. The Hero of Tomorrow. Welcome, Eli. Good to be back. Jim Bevan. Welcome back, Jim. I kid you not, Patty. He turns himself into a pickle. He's called Pickle Rick. Funniest shit I've ever seen. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had to jump on the meme. I had to. Thank you. And then finally, last but certainly not least, we have ourselves a very special guest. Uh, you may know his YouTube channel, Toonrific Tariq. So we have the man himself. So welcome, Tariq. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to be discussing about both a goofy movie and an extremely goofy movie. Uh, the first movie is going to be celebrating its 25th anniversary this coming week. Not to mention that the 20th anniversary of Extremely Goofy Movie happened back in Leap Year, which, you know, kind of hard. The last time that we had a Leap Year was like a few years ago. So it's kind of uh, perfect since, you know, 2020 just so happens to be a Leap Year and Extremely Goofy Movie came out on a Leap Year. So... I'm actually curious from any of, uh, you know, from everybody here, how did you first get introduced to uh, a Goofy movie? So um, the Goofy movie kind of came in a very weird way, really. I was just uh, sitting around watching Saturday morning cartoons and uh, all of a sudden there was this, this uh, I thought was just going to be an advertisement for, uh, you know, something, you know, Disney show related. But uh, no, apparently it was uh, a Goofy movie. And uh, so uh, Goofy was going to finally get onto uh, the mainstream 
uh, online screen after uh, uh, spending most of my time kind of like entertaining me in the shorts and uh, entertaining me in the uh, uh, in like Christmas specials and stuff like that. So uh, and also, if you remember, there was also the sing-along song videotapes as well. And so uh, I remember him quite significantly from then. And uh, I was just thinking, oh wow, okay, they're going to uh, build a story around this guy. Like uh, after uh, uh, years of just kind of like just being uh, you know a guy doing kind of like slapstick comedy routines this entire time. So I thought, hey, this should be good. To be honest, uh, when I first saw it, it was kind of like uh, you know I couldn't remember all that much about it, probably because you know I was probably pretty young at the time maybe or something like that i don't know but uh, i just remember it just kind of came and went really and uh, then after that there was um an extremely goofy movie that uh, was on uh, the disney channel like you know multiple times and uh, that was just kind of like my uh introduction really to the uh the main um goofy uh, movie franchise and so uh I would say that uh, it was uh, must have been somewhat successful because here we are, both all of us talking about it today. My brother and I, we were fans of the Goof Troop series when it came on. You know, we were young. We pretty much watched whatever was on, and we found it enjoyable. So when they announced the Goofy movie, we uh, you know asked our parents to take us to see it, and they obliged. And we found, and it, you know, it was definitely not what we expected, but it was really enjoyable. And I think it's you know it's managed to. St- hold on to the public in to my memory and the memories of most people in the public longer than the show did because it had a little more heart than the series at least from my perspective mm-hmm. pretty sure the first time i i saw i saw <laughs> any kind of a advertisement for this movie was on one of the many disney vhs tapes that came out which because i was a kid who liked animation i was renting a lot of animated movies so i ended up seeing an ad for that i don't think i got to see it when it was in theaters but i did see it when it came out on video so i was pretty much there on the day of when the sequel came out because i really ended up enjoying the movie because i was a fan of goof troop as well though Honestly, I still think the movie has stuck with me longer than the show has. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of weird. Like, I can't even, like, pinpoint the first time I saw it. I just know it was one of those things for me that, like, was always around. I remember middle school, I think, is when I started to call it my favorite animated film. And then, and, like, I kind of, I really loved the way that it looked and the way that it was animated. So, like, I used to, we had, like, DVR, so I would, like, pause and, like kind of fast forward to see how they like animated certain things and I would try to do it myself like and just re-watching it today it kind of showed me just how much the how much like the movie meant to me that I kind of almost forgot about really like I've oh it's always kind of been around and the second one too but more so the first one is like one of those things that like I've always kind of been connected to somehow yeah um, I would have to say something similar to Eli, in which I actually didn't see this movie in theaters. I did see the movie when it came out on VHS. Um, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm kind of similar to both Eli and Jim that I did grow up with Goof Troop as well, um, you know, because I was a huge fan of the uh, Disney Afternoon block alongside with, um, you know, Tailspin and Darkwing Duck and Gargoyles and such. So I was actually intrigued about how, you know, Goof Troop was going to, you know, say, you know, how Goof Troop was going to be adapted into a film. It's like, oh, man, you know, it's like we're going to see the the crazy adventures of Goofy and Max with, uh, you know, PJ and Peg and Pistol and, 
and Pete and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, oh, but then when I saw it, I was like, oh, I was taken by surprise about how somewhat different it was. So, yeah, um, I, and I, I remember, like, you know, watching uh, a, you know, extremely goofy movie as well, because I remember that there was advertisements for it in one of the Disney VHS tapes. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with this as well. And um, I must have been like almost in middle school when uh you know when uh, extremely goofy movie was out and i remember like the skateboarding phase was like hugely popular amongst my my peers you know everybody was into the uh, you know tony hawk and people were playing through the tony hawk pro skater games and i, I guess that's it kind of makes sense about like where the direction was going in terms of that movie so um yeah i think that uh, that you know there's an interesting history behind this so uh, yeah, uh, you know, the, the Goofy movie was done by Kevin Lima, who also worked on Tarzan and Enchanted. And uh, apparently it was based off of Jeffrey Katzenberg and his daughter when they went on a road trip together and they started bonding with each other. And Kevin Lima was, you know, came up with the idea of like writing a story based off of Goofy and Max, you know, having a father-son uh, trip together because... He wanted to flesh out Goofy then more than just a one-dimensional character who was known for slapstick. And so it's actually interesting because when the movie came out, critics didn't like this movie. They said it was incredibly bland and Goofy was not the same Goofy as he was in the original shorts from the 40s. And the one thing that actually did kind of make me like shocked when I saw the reviews of it was that they said that the soundtrack was instantly forgettable. And that kind of reminded me. Yeah, I know it's hilarious. Mm. Uh, that uh, that reminded me of another movie that Aaron and I talked about a few months ago that had mixed to negative reviews, and they said that the song, the soundtrack, was forgettable. And that was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I figured you were about to say that. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like I just don't get that criticism. Like, oh no, a character is different than how he was portrayed fifty years ago. This is a bad thing. I know, right? I, I, I yeah, mean, I guess... a new a new spin on a character, like you know, well, what a, what a shock, you know? How how dare you try and flesh out a character who was one note in the nineteen forties? <laughs> <laughs> when they promoted this, was it promoted like a goofy movie, or was it just goofy? I mean, I guess kind of both. I mean, more people were probably familiar with Goof Troop at that point because. Um, you know, it was 1995. Goof Troop was around for like two or three years. So I guess that was kind of like the newest thing that Goofy was in at the time, because before mm-hmm. this, you know, Goofy was known for being in those shorts. And, you know, this was like one of the first times in which Bill Farmer was the voice of Goofy, because before this, you know, Pinto was the previous voice of Goofy. And then afterwards, yeah. a few others. I'll be honest with everybody here because I think a goofy movie kind of I, I wasn't really into Goof Troop like at the very beginning. I would say a goofy movie got me into Goof Troop before, you know, I, so I kind of went in through the other way around, to be honest. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. Since you're talking about uh, since you're talking about Bill Farmer and this being his like real ascendance into the descendant into the modern goofy voice. On the subject of voices, I also have to ask, who, when they went to see this movie, had the first reaction? What happened to Max's voice? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Dana Hill, who was the voice of Max from Goof Troop, she had already passed away with, you know, a diabetic stroke. Oh, oh so, I, 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 she, I, I thought she died after the movie. I didn't know about that. 
Yeah, I think she died. I I think, yeah, I think she died. What was it like 94 or I think like roughly around that same time. So I think that probably they had no other choice but to change it. And I think that because Kevin Lima was going in a different direction with, you know, Goofy and Max, I think that maybe changing him a little bit older maybe would have been, uh, you know, the decision that he probably had. Because, I mean, like, I'm sure Dana Hill probably would have portrayed Max a little bit older because she's done that before. But, yeah, I think that unfortunate circumstances kind of, like, changed the direction. How long was the, you know, in, when, before the Goofy movie went into production, how long was it well, after she died? Like, you know, was it, because I'm not so sure if it ended up being, like, a last-minute decision they had to make or if it was something else. Or... Well, I mean, I know, okay, well, I was wrong. She died a year later, but she was very uh, sick. She she was suffering from type 1 diabetes, so I take it that she wasn't very well. I mean, from what I've understood in, like, interviews from talking tunes, like, you know, she died unexpectedly. So I take it that maybe she wasn't well enough to portray as Max. Who knows? I do understand it because this is supposed to be about Max in high school, so his voice changed. It doesn't really work thematically uh, if he was any younger than, like, what he is. Yeah, and, and Goof Troop, he's, like, what, like, seven or eight years old? Yeah. And in a Goofy movie, he's, like, probably 14. So I think that for the most part, um, you know, you have, uh, you know, the, the same voice actors from Goof Troop. You know, you have Jim Cummings, who's Pete, and Rob Paulson, who's PJ. Although, um, you know, Peg and Pistol are not in it. Right. I, I think that probably they removed them because maybe they wanted to, like, flesh out, you know, the father-son thing. You know, kind of like a juxtaposition between with Goofy and Max and PJ and, and Pete. So maybe they needed to remove, um, you know, Pistol and uh, Peg into the, the limelight, which, you know, kind of disappointing, I know. But I think that it kind of works here. Well, I always kind of interpreted it as just like Peg got fed up with Pete's bullshit and just divorced them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say on the note of uh, mentioning Bill Farmer, did you know that originally they were going to have Steve Martin play Goofy? I heard but about the other that, act- yeah. But the other actors basically were just like, no, I'm not doing it if that happens. I've got a lot of time for Steve Martin, but to, to, to betray, like, you know, to take over from somebody else, you know, and just be kind of like just uh, sandwiched in just for the sake of it. Like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's some lines you just don't cross. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll put up with Steve Martin in various other roles, but not here, please. Yeah. If, <laughs> yeah. If you haven't seen... Uh, Lindsay Ellis's video on on Aladdin and Robin Williams, you really should, because it echoes a point that I've been making a lot, because that was clearly, uh, that the, the Steve Martin thing was clearly a stunt casting decision to put butts in seats, because he's a recognizable actor. But as a result of the other actors saying, no, we're not going to do it unless Bill, unless Bill is goofy. And this is one of those few movies that actually was released without a huge big name actor in it, unless you count Polly Shore. Yeah, I, I was don't. just gonna say Polly Shore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, do you really think about it? Like yeah. uh, all the other movies that were in the Disney Renaissance era at the time, you had, uh, you know, you had uh, The Little Mermaid, you had Aladdin, you had Beauty and the Beast. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, there were some like side characters who were played by big time actors and actresses, but no, no, none of the main leads were in were kind of like known people at that time, were they? Or am I, I mean, wrong? like, let's see. I mean, I guess we could say for, like, Buddy Hackett for, um, you know, Little Mermaid or Robin Williams for The Genie or um, mm-hmm. maybe Robbie Benson, you know, especially for 80s, you know, fan 
sense because he was a massive heartthrob back in the day. Um, Robin Williams wasn't necessarily like uh, the was was well, actually, no, actually I like it wasn't massive self of Aladdin, wasn't he? But uh, I mean like. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 you know, the genie was like, just one of like, you know, the, of the cast of characters, like obviously the main character, the title character obviously was Aladdin, who was played by someone who we didn't know all that well too much about. But, you know, it's, uh, so I can see the logic of like saying, you know, well, hey, Disney, why is it that all these other movies don't get these, you know, uh, obviously they have Robin Williams, obviously they have like, you know, all these other ones, but we don't need it here, and you don't need it in the other films that you've produced. Why, does he need, why do you need it now? Like, you know, just bring in Bill. You know, he knows what he's doing. Uh, well, I mean, I, it, it's kind of funny, because, you know, very, very rarely do, like, major voice actors portray in theatrical movies. They have to, there's this, yeah. you know, especially, you know, with the mindset of Jeffrey you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg, it's like, we need to bring celebrities into this, you know, into like the main limelight so that we can be able to have the parents bring their kids along. A mindset that yeah, he was when he went over to drink more Herks. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, we, we know, yeah, Aaron and I know that weird, too well. Like, you look at a lot of the anime movies from like the 50s, 60s, up to the 70s, and you'll see they rarely went for the big names. It was all just going for the established people. You know, get Mel Blanc, get June Foray, get Boz Butler, get Paul Fries, get Hans Conried. And now it's just get Will Smith, get Tom Holland. We're doing that with the Scooby-Doo movie now. They have an established Scooby-Doo voice cast that's been doing the characters for 20 years. And they go with yeah, yeah. Will Forte as Shaggy instead of Matthew Lillard, who is the definitive successor to Casey Kasem. The weirdest thing about the Scooby-Doo movie is like they brought... Frank Welker back to do Scooby, but he's not Fred. That is really yeah. weird. That is, that is, I will never understand uh, the, fi the film industry. <laughs> I don't think anybody will. I mean, like the last time that I heard about like, you know, unless it's an indie film, which even indie films, you know, would even bring like a celebrity or two. Like, I think Jimmy right. Neutron Boy Genius would be, like, one of the last that I can think of that has, like, mostly voice actors as the main cast. I mean, sure, you have, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart and Martin Short as the villains, but for the most part, the main characters are voiced by voice actors. Uh-huh. I remember hearing about, like, I guess, like, Tara Strong and everybody talking about how much fun the Powerpuff Girls movie was just because of how rare something like that was. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, unfortunately, you know, you know, the, the Powerpuff Girls movie didn't really catch on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, other, I mean, if that would have been the case, then maybe we could have had a lot more movies on Cartoon Network. We probably could have gotten the Samurai Jack movie that uh, Frederator was talking about many years ago. Well, no, looking after adults when do with Samurai Jack, I think a movie probably would have been underwhelming, really, compared to what we got. Yeah, I know that regular show and Steven Universe, the movie was released locally in Los Angeles right before it was being released on TV. And I think that they did pretty okay. Anyway, but we're going, we're getting off topic. So uh, a Goofy movie. So I think that um, the way that the Goofy movie starts off, um, it, you know, it's, I think that it is based off of, you know, like you have that dream sequence with Max and Roxanne and, you know, him being like so petrified of, you know, the person that he is going to grow up to be, which is, you know, Goofy. And, you know, that's the constant fear that he has throughout the movie because he doesn't want to be like his dad. And then his dad wants to oversmother him, which if you've seen Goof Troop, which I did see a few episodes of, I mean, that is essentially who Goofy is, just this you know, goofy, over-the-top dad, and that's basically who he is. Um, and It's, you know, it's the, understandable. It is very understandable. Be, yeah, especially because he's implied to be a widower, so he sees himself as being like, you know, Max is all he has left of, so he's overly doting. 
Yeah, exactly. Like he wants to make sure that the last bit of, you know, uh, his family that he has left is like protective. I mean, like this came out like, uh, like eight years before finding Nemo. So it, it actually just goes to show you about how, you know, strong that the movie's message is. Anyway, so um, I guess the thing that a lot of people still seem to remember when it comes to this particular scene is, I guess we can talk about the first song in the movie, which is After Today. Has anybody actually seen that YouTube video that came out a few years ago about them yes. reenacting that scene? It's really yeah. good. Yeah, I saw, I saw that years ago, and I got, I like go back to it because they do like a lot of those. I think they did like they did one with Dan Pavenmeyer recently. Yeah, yeah, they yeah they've done that. When I was in school one year, they did uh like a little theatrical, uh they did a little theatrical showcase, and one of them had students reenacting uh the the song Bell from the start of Beauty and the Beast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Only the reenactments I've seen in high school things seem to be real, you know, around like a Dragon Ball Z or something like that, you know, like, so uh, I would have liked to have seen that if, uh, well, once well, well, probably after I've uh, done with this, I will go back to YouTube and go look for it, but, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've not seen that yet, to be honest with you, so, yeah. There is one thing that I want to go back to before we, uh, before we, uh, before we return to After Today, that, that bit with the opening dream sequence, can we talk about how terrifying that transformation bit was? It's basically sort of start, plays like a werewolf movie, kind of. Because mm-hmm. well, you know, you turned... know what you like know, you know what I compare it to uh, the opening scene in uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller, uh, that music mm. video. I compare it to mm. that, and uh, yeah, so kind of like because uh, I was watching that, and like you know, she runs off, and uh, I was just uh, joking with Patricia, just saying, you know, this is Thriller, Thriller night. <laughs> <laughs> Because I saw this when I was a young kid, and that sequence still—that sequence did terrify me because it was very effective as a nightmare sequence. Because you have the two—you have Max and Roxanne playing in, in this idyllic field, uh, in this idyllic field together, laughing and have, laughing and getting along, and then suddenly everything goes dark, and he starts turning into Goofy. It's just. Like, it, like forcibly, his his ears extend, his teeth get bigger, and he just like, and he just like grows huge, like some kind of monster. But he's just, but it, but instead of howling, he just he just does the goofy holler. <laughs> like I've said, this movie has just kind of been one of those things that's like always been around for me. So I didn't really realize just like how insane the scene was until I had to sit back and think about it while I was watching it today. Well, it really got affected when like his hands started growing. Yeah, like the fingers started pointing. Like oh, that shot is insane. Yeah, but well, so, you know, it's uh, it, it's uh, if anything, it's kind of like it's uh, it's a normal re- it's a normal kind of like reaction, like uh, you know, kind of normal fear that uh, you know kids of that time, you know, kids of that age, kind of like dreaded becoming. You know, like I'm sure some. You know, I mean, I, I like the fact that I kind of like feel like I have the mannerisms of both my parents. But uh, at one point, when I was in my teenage years, you know, when I was 13, 14 years old, I was kind of scared of becoming them. <laughs> So like uh, you know, it was uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a fear that uh, you know some kids uh, are kind of you know afraid of having you know until yeah, they, uh, exactly. later grow up to uh, later understand it you know. Yeah, yeah the yeah. metaphor is is extremely obvious because he's terrified of turning into his dad, but in that moment it's presented very effectively. <laughs> yeah, 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 it, it is very much so. 
And um, I think that's, um, you know, the, that opening scene that you have with establishing everything, you know, that um, Max wants to look cool in front of his classmates because he's being made fun of for being a geek and he wants to emulate his idle power line and, you know, he doesn't want to be anything like his dad. And so um, basically, you know, throughout the movie, we have that um, opening sequence with After Today. And then finally, um, we have them doing the preparations for doing the music video. And, you know, it's, yeah, I, I think that that's actually pretty funny that, you know, you have, uh, you know, the juxtaposition between like, you know, all the kids who are excited for the Powerline concert and then the principal comes out and just does his announcements about like, hey, you know, this is the last day of um, school right before summer vacation. And, you know, you want to be able to do something that's more beneficial for your lives and all that kind of stuff and they just don't care whatsoever they just want to get out as soon as possible and all they care about is that uh, that you know the concert that um you know the girl mentioned about like she's going to have it in her home and it's going to be on a big widescreen tv and it's going to be shown on pay-per-view and mm-hmm. it, and then finally uh wallace sean you know nails it out of the park as the principal yeah he really he really has a knack for playing like uh, douchebag authoritarian figures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though that around the same time he was, was he was playing Rex in Toy Story. Uh, I actually met him uh, a few months ago when I was uh, at a convention, and he was literally about to leave uh, to go to his flight. And my cousin and I had to like, you know, rush by and get a quick picture with him right before he left. So uh, he was a really nice guy. Uh, his uh, uh, his agent was kind of like rushing us to, to to get his picture done right before he had to leave. Same same way I met Troy Baker. His wife actually, you know, told us that you know take a quick picture and then leave. So yeah. Anyway, but uh, yeah, cool. Wallace Shawn does a great job of it. I mean, he has kind of like the same you know douchebaggery charisma that he had with Princess Bride. So um, yeah. you you have that scene in which when finally Max. Um, you know, performs in front of the whole student body and everybody's like cheering for him and excited. And then finally he's yeah. brought into the principal's office and the principal blows everything way out of proportion. But, you know, the fact that that's the only thing that Goofy hears when learning that Max is in trouble, it's actually pretty understandable on why he jumps into proportions and why he wants to, you know, become closer to Max right before he becomes a juvenile delinquent. If he was maybe like a little bit like more specific, I don't know if Goofy would have reacted the same way. But he does say he's like dressed as like a gang member and he like he's going to end up in like the electric chair when all he did was just kind of like sing a Tevin Campbell song. It doesn't help that before uh, he got the call, Pete was like trying to basically mess with Goofy by suggesting that him not being as strict at, with Max as he is with PJ is going to cause uh, Max to go down the wrong path because, you know, Pete always has to try and ruin everything. Right. Mm. So he planted the seed and the principal helped it grow. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, for the most part, when it comes to like, you know, Goofy wanting to be you know, spending more time with his son and he doesn't know how until he remembered about how he and his dad used to go on road trips together and how they used to fish at Lake Destiny, Idaho. And so... Um, you know, that brought him the idea about like, you know, I'm going to treat my son to this and I'm going to help him get closer. That way he doesn't get into trouble and he doesn't end up in prison. And, you know, here comes Max, you know, having the time of his life and becoming really popular and all that stuff. And it just goes crashing down, you know, the window like pretty quickly. 
but Max also kind of sees this as an opportunity to get in good to get in good better with the popular kids because he uh, basically he basically implied to Roxanne that he actually knew Powerline and because because he has a crush on her he would say anything but basically he's but basically he told her that he was going to end up at the Powerline concert that was going to be televised so he sort of sees this road trip as an opportunity to go there instead and Goofy doesn't realize this of course he's trying to he's trying to get closer to Max and Max is trying to push him away the whole time <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, in a way, like uh, watching the relationships between all the characters is a little bit is intriguing, but also a little bit infuriating at times because you know you're looking at Roxanne and uh, she seems to like Max regardless of how goofy he he, he might be, uh, be in front of her, and then you've got uh, obviously Goofy trying to be a good father to his son, even though he's uh, more driving him away than anything else, and then. Uh, you got Max kind of like in between the uh, all the characters and everything like that, and kind of rubbing everyone the wrong way. And it's kind of like you know, it's just it's uh, it's all these like all these little misunderstandings and all these uh, you know these uh, you know innuendos that just don't kind of like aren't seem to resolve themselves until the very end of the movie. You know, so it's like it's uh, you kind of like uh, kind of you keep you kind of start back and watching it all just kind of all play out throughout the entire film. It is a lot more uh, character driven than like a lot of the other things that like disney's done before or since like it's really it's not really um story heavy they really push and give a lot of like silent moments and they they make you like sit with these characters and like listen to them speak to each other and like really get a grasp of how they feel well there there are those silent moments there are those like build-up moments obviously there's the one when uh, goofy realizes that max is like you know changing the map the map directions and stuff like that so there's those types of moments as well but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would argue that uh, if uh, Disney ever, you know, me and Patricia originally saw uh, the uh, the Finding Nemo musical uh, over at Animal Kingdom when uh, we went over there a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, you know, if they ever do a musical and they're going to do something like uh, like that related, like uh, I would be surprised if they said, oh, hey, a goofy movie, the musical, let's do a version of that, you know. Like, uh, I highly doubt they'll probably ever do it now, but uh, if they ever did something like that, I think a goofy movie would fit, fit it right down to the ground. They did yeah. have Tevin Campbell perform at one of the recent D23 expos, and he still killed it. I think I remember, you know, it was also a performance during the 20, 20th anniversary reunion panel with um, Jason Marsden and Bill Farmer and Kevin Lima was also in there as well. And they were talking about like some interesting behind the scenes uh, stories and questions about uh, a goofy movie. Um, I think I think it's probably on YouTube somewhere if you're interested in checking it out. Um, I think that um, for the most part, when it comes to, um, you know, Goofy, you know, I I think I remember seeing a tweet a long time ago about this particular scene where, you know, Goofy and Max are in the car. And and it's like this mindset. It's like when you're a kid, you're thinking, oh, come on, Goofy, take Max to the concert. But when you're an adult, you're thinking, oh, come on, Max, let your dad take you to the fishing trip. Yeah. yeah, you really are. The funny thing is, uh, you you mentioned Jim Cummings earlier. He said that one of his favorite scenes ever to do as Pete was that scene where uh, where uh, Goofy and Pete sort of confront each other while they're in the hotel hot tub together. I know, make your own jokes, but <laughs> basic. But uh, but his name but he is basically... Cummings for a reason. Oh, come on! Yikes. <laughs> hey, he said Yikes. make your own jokes. I had to take the opportunity. Fair enough. 
but basic but basically he tells them hey if if you think your son trusts you so much then why is he lying to you and that and that's the bit that inspires goofy to check the map and that's really what makes things come to a head near the end of the movie that's such a good scene like it's it's i didn't i don't remember it being executed like as good as it was and how like Bill Farmer's performance is goofy. He kind of like shuts down once he hears Pete say that, like, "Yo, your your kid, he like changed the map." Like you can hear like the diction in Goofy's voice. Like he just kind of like he kind of like shuts down a little bit because he's in such disbelief. And I love the fact that we don't see him check the map. He kind of like gets frustrated and hits the car, and the map just flies out, and you just see his reaction. You don't see him look at the map. You don't see his face when he sees that Max changed the directions. It really is kind of left up for interpretation. Yeah, it's a it's an incredibly subtle and brilliant moment. Yeah, and I and and you know it's a shame that the critics didn't understand it when they first saw the movie. They just thought of it as like really boring, as opposed to like subtle presentation with a character that is known for being over the top. So you, you, you got to keep in mind as well. Like uh, I mean, I think the goofy movie unfortunately came in at a time. It came very unfortunately times. I mean. This came out. Well, I mean, how long was it since then? Since then, the Lion King then came out after. Uh, I came out the same time as Toy Story. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like it came out a year after the Lion King, and the same year as Toy Story. I rest my case. Like you know, uh, the the way. I mean, can we honestly all look at that uh, the Goofy movie and say it stands up to kind of like uh, the Lion King and Toy Story? You know, like it was sandwiched in with very inconvenient places. Yeah, I think I can understand that, especially since the major. Mo- mindset of what who goofy as a character was is like goof troop that was like the newest Mm -hmm. thing at the time we didn't have kingdom hearts we didn't have any of the other um you know stuff from goofy we didn't have the mickey's christmas special where you have goofy and max you know trying to have a good christmas or anything like that so i guess at the time you know all people knew about goofy was either goof troop or the 40 the 1940s shorts so i guess you know, something like, you know, where Goofy is like really depressed about, you know, his son changing the map behind his back and not going over to the fishing trip, but instead, you know, going to some place where he's going to, you know, cause more trouble. It's like, yeah, I mean, it just shows you about how amazing that, um, you know, they were able to take risks and portraying Goofy as a character that we've never seen before. Like, this is kind of like people's standard Goofy now a lot of people that kind of grew up after this film came out and like you know aren't as familiar with the original shorts or anything like people remember a goofy movie like it has like this really like cult status and like this is kind of what people see goofy for now so i could i guess i could understand like if they didn't see him like that before and like this is kind of coming out of nowhere but yeah and that's really the funny thing about this uh about this movie and why it was probably a bi- probably a stumbling block for people at the time for especially the critics because while there is a lot of slapstick set pieces there's a bigfoot invading their campsite and uh, goofy takes max to this uh, chuck e cheese knockoff place called lester's possum park halfway through the movie mm. and 
though this though it's kind of sad because that's where uh, Pat Buttram shows up, who was one of uh, Rob Paulson's idols, and he actually died during the production of this movie. So oh, okay. yeah, that was his last role. I mean, most people mm. know nowadays know him for Mr. Haney and Green Acres, or you know, he did a lot of voiceover for um, you know Disney in the '70s. You know, he was in Aristocats, Robin Hood, Fox and the Hound. So. Yeah, I mean, the fact that that was his very last role right before he died is just amazing. Yeah, I mostly remember him as the sheriff from Robin Hood. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, despite all of those weird set pieces, the co the core conflict of this movie is surprisingly dramatic for a movie called A Goofy Movie. Because it's about, a dad at its core, a dad reconnecting with his son, even though, mm -hmm. even despite the generation gap, which is honestly not as massive as we thought at the time, especially during the 90s. Because <laughs> there was so much of an urge for teens to be teens and try, and try, and try to rebel against the authority. The authority. But, that, but the thing is, that's... That's can, that kind of connection is still important, even when you're a teenager, even though it's harder to connect with your family when you're older. Yeah, and especially if there is a girl that you like involved. Yeah, oh, especially yeah. in high school. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that with, with that said, I mean, you know, the fact that there is a lot of dramatic things in this movie, you know, you have even with the scene, you know, after, you know, Goofy and Max are being chased by Bigfoot, you know, they're stuck in the car and they can't get out because, you know, Bigfoot is going to trample all over them. You have them recollecting about like, you know, a, a, you know, how, you know, Goofy used to remember Max eating alphabet soup and then he would spell the name with the letters. And, you know, even that scene was also very strong. And, you know, going into like when, you know, Goofy decides to tell Max when they reach over to the junction about like which direction were they going to turn, you know, they were going to turn left or right. And when Max decides to turn left to go to California, he's you see his face. He is like beyond devastated. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I admit there was a time when I thought about it, when I thought, you know, this could have been resolved easily if they just talked it over and. They had come to the conclude, and they had discussed. Okay, we'll go see the concert, and then we'll go to the and we'll go to the lake. But uh, I guess that was kind of like to show now how how difficult it was for them to actually connect and talk things out. Mm -hmm. and, it's kind of weird and because, like, you know, they, they seem to have, they seem to have found lots of other time to go do all the other things in the montage. Yeah, so it's like, uh, yeah. I mean, that was on the on the trip over there, to be fair. Like, they were able to, you know, in addition to, you know, do all the other activities that Max w thought it was fun, you know, it was like on the, it just so happened to be on the way. And that scene was very important because it was able to show that, you know, Goofy and Max were able to have a close relationship. But then it just kind of fell apart when Pete came along and he was like, you know, trying to remind Goofy to, you know, show discipline to your son. And, you know, he's not... Uh, you know the son that you thought he was he's a bad influence and I, I think the scene that like really struck me the most after like during the hot like during the hot tub scene in which when you know Goofy doesn't believe in Pete's accusation saying that he changed the map and so he left him and saying like I know that you know um, your thoughts about what a son is not the same as mine but you know my son loves me and then Pete says my son respects me so, you know, uh, it's not about, like, love. It's about respect, like, showing the authority that, you right. know, he's in charge. Yeah. yeah. It kind of, like, uh, gave some people the opinion that uh, Pete beats his son. I don't know where that came from, but uh, I, I yeah. think that's what people took away from that. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I, to be fair, he kind of did t- kind of treat him that way sometimes in Goof Troop. Like, in the first few episodes when Goofy was moving into the neighborhood, he tried to prevent PJ from interacting with Max because he didn't want them to be friends. And so he would, like, you know, tell him to, like, do all these stupid tasks in order to stay away from him. It's like, okay, PJ, I want you to wear the family boots and I want you to crush 150,000 of these cans. And he wouldn't even allow him to play his toys because there were investments. So, you know, he was like that to you know his son but i think that in the movie it was done a little bit more realistically obviously this whole thing is massively character driven and uh, which uh, again like you know with all the other movies that were out of the time like i mean toy story obviously was massively character driven obviously you know through that but uh, you know a lot of other movies there at the time also were relying quite heavily on their visual effects you know, um, the Goofy movie doesn't have that luxury. You can see how, you know, how much money they could actually pour into this uh, into this performance that they were putting up on the screen. And so a lot of it has to come through the voice actors themselves. And so you can probably imagine the... I'd be interested to actually see how long the script actually was, how big the thing actually physically was as a... Uh, as a as a uh, you know, as a movie script because I probably imagine before it'd be pretty huge. Uh, I don't think it was probably because if you remember that, um, you know, Goof, tr- the, you know, a Goofy movie was the second movie that was produced by Disney Toon Studios. If you remember, they were the ones responsible for the direct-to-video movies. This was after they released Ducktales, Treasure of the Lost Lamp, and they were planning on doing more theatrical movies based off of the Disney Afternoon cartoons, but I. I think that they the fact that both of the movies were like moderated hits they weren't like gigantic massive hits that maybe that they didn't really like pay too much attention to the film it's like you know 95 you know you had toy story that came out and you know 94 previously you had a lot you know the lion king so i guess you know i guess 95 would have been pocahontas and if you remember pocahontas was their a project and the lion king was their b project right so I don't think that, you know, a Goofy movie was, like, major in their priorities as in terms of, like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to, like, market the heck out of this. Uh, because they probably would have been focusing a lot more on Pocahontas. Which is just hilarious to me nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, have you ever seen, like, Wake and Sleeping Beauty? Like, just, like, in retrospect, just, like, the story about how, like, they sent, like... I heard there's like a part in the movie where they talk about like a meeting that they had and they like hyped up like uh, Pocahontas and like, yeah, it's going to go on. It's going to get all these awards. And it's like, yeah, you know, the Lion King, you know, it's kind of cute. You know, um, we're going to try our best on it. And like, just like how history ended up playing out after that is like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they essentially had no uh, faith in the Lion King. They just called it Bambi in Africa. I mean, the same thing happened for Shrek. They wanted Prince of Egypt to be their magnum opus. And anybody who wasn't filling up to snuff with the Prince of Egypt, they went over to move to Shrek, which was their punishment project. And look where that turned out. Here's a, something that I saw on uh, someone posted on Twitter a while back when they were discussing a goofy movie. They noticed some of like the little Easter eggs. Like, I forget if it was either Max or Goofy. They have one of those Mickey Mouse novelty phones. Yeah, Max had the oh, novelty Matt, phone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then when they're doing the twenty questions, where uh, the person Goofy's thinking of is Walt Disney. Walt so Disney. like, where? Yeah. So where do where do Mickey and Walt fit into the Goofy universe? Uh, that's a Mickey good question. Mickey Mouse is like he's like on the highway, like when they're singing. Uh, yeah. 
the open road record. Like Mickey yeah. Mouse is on the highway, but yes. Max has him in his room. Yes. Yeah, so May he's a celebrity there, but it's still it still raises the questions about with Walt. I mean, is he like is he still a creator, but he just did different franchises in this universe? If so, what kind of animal is he? It's one of those things that just it's like it's like when Matt Groening made a cameo appearance in The Simpsons. I was gonna in say the Simpsons, like, though, they kinda they kinda brush him off in the Simpsons. They act like all Matt Groening did was like do Futurama. <laughs> I was so, gonna say it was it was more like uh in uh Last Action Hero, where they tried to find uh, the movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger stars in, and Sylvester Stallone is starring in them instead. <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, Looney Tunes back in action? Because I watched that a couple days ago again, and I forgot yeah. that yeah. Like, Brandon, Brandon Fraser is a character, and then he meets Brandon Fraser at the end. Oh, yeah, I remember. So he, punches, he punches Fraser. himself in the face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is very weird, yeah. It's always weird when a creator shows up in their own war. Herc. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, especially when they're, like, referencing stop, themselves. Uh, you didn't stop uh, Nashville Ned, a.k.a. Craig Bartlett, bearing Hey Arnold, so, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, but he didn't say he happens. was Craig Bartlett, though. I think that the only time in which maybe that probably happened was the Jungle movie, where he just shows up in a cameo. He wasn't, like, Nashville Ned. He wasn't, like, you know, Monkey Man or anything like that. He just was there so i mean it's like if um grunkle stan admits that he created gravity falls yeah i also think of the the pearls before swine comics where the cartoonist draws himself in and has his characters insulting him for writing a bad joke anyway but uh going i guess going back into you know a goofy movie i think that the one thing that i really do appreciate uh, about you know the relationship between Max and Roxanne is that it genuinely does feel like a legit relationship, and you know it, you know Max is essentially like putting this amount of pressure on himself, even though that there was that scene in which when you know Roxanne was mentioning that she would find somebody else for the concert, I mean you could tell how devastated she was. She felt disappointed that Max wasn't able to come with her to the party. And so I think that, you know, that I guess that maybe for some people, they felt like they have to push themselves way too much to impress a girl when in reality, they just need to be themselves. And I'm sure that that was a relationship that would last on for several more movies to come. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That still really bugs me. I mean, I know it's I know it's a high school relationship. But it really bothered me that she never showed up again after this movie. And yeah, the only time in which she did was in one episode of House of Mouse. Yep, yeah, I remember that. And it's Tara Strong. Yeah. yeah. At, and at one point, she actually was going to reappear as Max's girlfriend in Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. But apparently, the create the filmmakers could not render her hair properly in the CGI the film was made in. So he's going out with a new girl because they couldn't figure out how to make Roxanne's hair. Wait, that's the they excuse? Could, they could have just like, redesigned her. <laughs> they could have, they, yeah. They just say she got a haircut. But... Yeah, they could. Oh, you're telling me that no one could have taken a stroll over to Pixar Studios to say, hey, you know that hair you did for Violet in The Incredibles? How do we do that for Roxanne over here? You know? I, I know it's a childish thing to get annoyed over, but it's still annoying. <laughs> No, yeah, I didn't even know that that was the excuse. I always kind of wonder what that was. Oh, I, 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 I also kind of wonder why she's not in a extremely goofy movie like at all. 
but mm. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was a maybe they forgot about her. Maybe they maybe it was like a licensing issue. Maybe they couldn't get the actress back. I'm not sure. That's actually a really good question. Yeah, just uh, I mean, like keep in mind, like uh, there, there's going to be a lot of characters to focus on during uh, an extremely goofy movie. So that is uh, true, yeah. and if you, yeah, so like it was. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, something you've got to give. Unfortunately, and unfortunately, that was Roxanne. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess since Max's main motivation in extremely goofy movie was winning the college X Games, I guess you know somebody like Roxanne would have like kind of like clashed too much. So I guess that makes sense. So yeah, I guess we can give our final words about uh, a goofy movie. So overall, I still think that this is a really well done movie. I do like the relationship between Goofy and Max. I do like the subtle uh, performances of you know the actors and. I do like the fact that it was able to take risks, especially since, you know, the general consensus of Goofy was that, you know, he was an over-the-top character. So they were able to change him up to the point in which, like, we're more familiar with the subtle Goofy as opposed to, like, the over-the-top Goofy from the shorts mm -hmm. and from the Goof Troop series. It was a far more settled-down movie than, I think, uh, other films were at the time. I think everything else was, like, uh, reaching out to be kind of like that 90s blockbuster that we'll always remember and uh, trying to be, like, you know, trying to up the ante. Well, a goofy movie just kind of like, uh, let's just focus on the storytelling and let's just uh, focus on, you know, that bit of it and uh, let uh, the rest all play by itself. And I think uh, it's, uh, you know, it keeps a, a certain type of charm for that. So I probably imagine that, uh, and I believe this is probably a fact, I probably imagine that... Uh, a goofy movie probably did better in the DVD and the VHS sales than they ever did in the movie, in the movie theater. I will say that it is a movie that is very much of its time, not just of the whole uh, kid, cool kid trying to be popular mindset, but also of that final concert at the end. It very much does feel like the 80s bleeding into the 90s from the visual aesthetic. There's a lot of laser lights and neon, and uh, Powerline is pretty much, I've heard him described as the love child of Prince and Michael Jackson. So, even and, it was based on Bobby Hammer as well. Yeah. But 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 the but the concert is still a very memorable set piece. It's very 90s, but it's very well done. <laughs> yeah. Left an impact. I mean, help. They, they sang Stand Out in one of the recent DuckTales episodes. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, it's only a couple of seconds, but it's kind of cool. It's like, you know, nice to have them reference that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, like, I, like I said, I was like really just blown away by, because um, I always really, really loved it, but I was just blown away by just by how really really well put together it is it's a beautiful looking movie like and even just kind of thinking about it just like watching it i don't think we'll uh, we've ever gotten or we'll ever see again like uh theatrical animation like that like taking place in places like a high school or like a motel or something like that just like these settings that these characters are in like them walking around and i know that that era was like when the cap system was first invented so you you know, like, uh, Rescue is Down Under, Beauty and the Beast, wall kind of done digitally. And just seeing the animated film one that was, like, shot on film again is, like, really cool to look at, too. Um, this one, the, I would, just by rewatching it earlier, the, the scene where uh, they're kind of, Max and Goofy are kind of arguing and they're going, they're falling into, like, uh, the water. They're, like, the car's, like, jumping over, like, the Grand Canyon and stuff. And, like... The fact that one little character detail that I noticed is that while they're arguing and they're like yelling all this 
up at each other almost like they hate each other but like they're helping each other at the same time like all of their like character actions like max is helping goofy on the top of the car or like goofy's dangling out the car max is helping him and goofy's grabbing max and stuff like that like it's so complex it's way more complex than like goof troop the movie like ever needed to be and the fact that like they cared so much is i think is what made it stand the test of time and why like people go back to it so often and why people still talk about it a lot yeah i mean whenever that you think of you know something related to goofy a goofy movie is brought up a lot more than goof troop is it's Uh one of the very few times in which like you know you can be able to watch a theatrical movie based off of a tv series and you don't have to feel completely lost about it like the only i mean you, you don't have a lot of those anymore i mean i can think of like maybe the powerpuff girls movie and um you know maybe a handful of others but for the most part you know uh, theatrical movies are catered you know based off of tv shows or catered to the fans of the tv show in order for you to understand the movie you need to watch the tv show but with a goofy movie it's one of the very rare cases in which you can watch the tv show and you can watch the movie and they're completely different and you know, the movie is more remembered than the show. Yeah, and it's weird though too because I just kind of feel like you know I've seen a little Goof Troop. Like I haven't uh, seen it in a while, but like just from hearing you talk about it, like I kind of got like a little bit more like memory just for, like how wacky it was and stuff like that. It's one of those things where like Goof, uh, a Goofy movie isn't specifically a movie made for Goof Troop fans, but I feel like if Goof Troop fans saw it, they wouldn't feel gypped. They would just think that it's. Oh, okay, it's just a evolution. So yeah, I think that uh, right before we discuss about uh, extremely goofy movie, uh, we must answer the most important question that has been asked: How many cups of sugar does it take to get to the moon? Seventeen. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, seventeen. <laughs> All right, let's move on. So extremely goofy movie. So. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess after, you know, the moderate success of, you know, Goof, uh, you know, a Goofy movie and DuckTales uh, Treasure of the Lost Lamp that they unfortunately didn't release any more theatrical movies based off of the Disney Channel cartoons, because if that would have been the case, we would have been really close to getting a Darkwing Duck movie. But alas, you know, because, you know, hey, you know, direct-to-video movies are becoming a lot more popular and... You know, this was, uh, you know, around like 2000. This was when, you know, Disney was kind of being offset by Pixar and DreamWorks and their directed video movies were all that they had. So here comes Extremely Goofy Movie. And it takes place a few years later and Max is heading off to college and he's going to be participating in the College X Games. And remember when those were a thing? We got to remind people it's 2000. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I I think that, you know, yes, it's true that a Goofy movie is definitely, like, akin to something that would be around in the early 90s, but I think that an extremely Goofy movie is even more dated than the original. It is, definitely I mean, in addition to the College X Games, you have the beatnik chick, and then you have the, you know, the scene where Miss Marple and Goofy are reminiscing about how amazing the 1970s was, which right. at that the time makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was a big thing I noticed around the late 90s, early 2000s, there was this resurgence of 70s nostalgia. I guess it was because the people who were teens and late adults then realized, you know, okay, we're getting older. It's, we want to relive our, we want to relive the good aspects of our youth. It's like yeah. it's that thirty year thing. It's like uh, it's like in like the eighties 
uh, when it was like Greece and stuff like that. It's like this fascination with the culture that was like 30 years before. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, exactly. Like around the 70s, people were reminiscing about the 50s and there was like reruns of, you know, Happy Days and, you know, Greece was becoming a thing. And then mm-hmm. when the the 90s came along, the 70s were starting to become popular. You know, people were listening to disco music again. The, there was a huge resurgence of bell-bottom pants and all that stuff. There was a lot of psychedelic... Um, you know, visuals and music videos. So I guess this was like ter- toward the ending point of 70s nostalgia because a few years later, people would be really nostalgic about the 80s. I mean, we saw this in like, you know, reruns of movies. That was when the NES was getting like all the nostalgic love from like the, you know, angry video game nerd and all, um, you know, Score Attack and PBC Productions and all that stuff, game trailers. So yeah, this this was kind of like one of the last bits. I guess it's kind of like a generational gap, you know, the, the, the transition between the old and the new. And yet when looking at this movie, it seems to kind of like... You know, yeah. be a clash of like which nostalgia yeah. are you leaning towards? The nostalgia of yeah. your parents uh, or the nostalgia of the kids who used to watch this movie? Yeah, like it was always on on Disney Channel. Like uh, to me, it was kind of like uh, it's uh, if you were trying to envy your parents, like uh, what on earth was it doing? You know, kind of like it was. Uh, you know, the, for me, like it was an extremely goofy movie compared to a goofy movie. You know, like. Uh, the, a goofy movie felt far more linear than extremely goofy movie was. Uh, yeah. the, the the second movie just kind of felt like it was all over the place. It didn't really kind of make all that yeah. much sense. Yeah, like I said, there's like a huge like clash in what they're trying to reference to, not just with like the the beat in the cafe that seems to be out of the '50s and Goofy and Sylvia reliving the '70s and also and trying to capture on the modern extreme sports trends of the late '90s and early 2000s, but then you also have the final third of the movie, it plays like a lot of those 80s sports films with the underdogs trying to rise to the top and the uh, preppy rich kid and his friends trying to cheat their way to victory. Yeah, I mean, this is like very akin to like a college movie. And you know what I know the, the best thing about the first movie? It didn't have a villain and it didn't need one. But now with right. this movie, we have a villain. Bradley yeah, Upper was, Crust III. Yeah. It was kind of yeah. like a religious thing was like I guess if you wanted to phrase Pete like he was the villain of the first film it's more of a realistic kind of approach to it he's kind of just he's just kind of like putting these things in Goofy's ear like any normal just kind of person would do yeah. but here it's yeah, just kind of like clear cut. Though I must give credit, credit again again praising the voice actors Jeff Bennett does an incredible job as Bradley he really knows how to play uh, snobby assholes Oh yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and say what you will. He the animation on him is really good. He has some mm-hmm. hilarious facial expressions. Yeah, he really does. Yeah. yeah. The I mean, the thing that you know interested me was you know when watching it, it's like you know you have you know Goofy and Max going through the same major problem again. It's like you know Max is going away to college and he's going to be his own person, and you know Goofy is you know really depressed because you know Max isn't around anymore. And then you know while he's trying to do his job, you know he's like incredibly distracted. He loses his focus, and then you know he ends up going back to college again. And, you know, uh, as mentioned earlier uh, with, you know, Goof Troop, the very first episode, Goofy gets a degree and he's able to get a good job and he's able to move over to Spoonerville. So um, I guess he had I mean, you know, I know that we're not going to take into consideration that they followed the same 
continuity. But, you know, it's actually interesting about like, you know, Goofy having to get one year of college done just so he can be able to get a degree so he can get a job and he can be able to support himself. No, no, no. It's actually interesting because, you know, a lot of, I've seen a lot of theories about like, you know, what happened, you know, why did he drop out of those three, you know, that that final year of college? And some people made the argument about like, maybe that's when, you know, he got married to his wife and maybe that's when Max was born. I mean, if we were to assume that maybe Max was probably born in 1980 or something like that, and if it was 1998 or 99 when the movie came out then he's probably at the right age that maybe, you know, Goofy left college so he can support his wife and son. Mm-hmm. At, at least that's the theory I've seen. I don't know why he, you know, only yeah, completed the theory. So, Chris, are, you gonna, are, you, are you telling me out there there's uh, probably a Goofy short somewhere out there saying pulling out never works? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I think the scene in which when, you know, um, Max is trying to tell Goofy that, you know, he, he cannot embarrass him and he cannot do all these things. It, it definitely did kind of like feel somewhat akin to the first movie in which like he's learning the same lesson again about like, you know, no matter how big you get, you know, he'll always be his son, which is, you know, more or less what he learned. But I think that the difference is that, you know, it's, you know, he's a different age and he's in a different situation where he's in college as opposed to being in high school. And instead of a field, you know, instead of a road trip, you know, he's trying to, you know, accomplish his goals of the X games, which is basically the main focus of the movie. I think mm-hmm. the thing that kind of makes it a little different is uh, with this one. And I guess what just kind of makes uh, the structure a little bit weird is that Goofy and Max spend a lot more time apart in this one. So there's like a lot of different moving parts here that that, that don't uh, make it as linear as before and sometimes i guess it could feel like they're like treading the same ground i do remember this is a little, a little bit um there's a little something that i noticed that was kind of like showed a little character growth between uh max and goofy is i think when max is driving away he says i love you which is like i guess would be unheard of in the first film like before the finale or anything like that about yeah, the movie to focus on them separately because, you know, then you're not totally rehashing point for point of them needing to learn to bond together. Then you also get to see what their individual lives are like. And it does lead to some good moments. Like, uh, I really love this moment, like where Goofy gets recruited by Bradley's team to help them in the sports games. And eventually he decides he's going to drop out because, you know, they're all a bunch of assholes and they decide to threaten him. But then Goofy's Goofy just fights back and over and easily overpowers them because, you know, they forget they're not dealing with uh, an underclassman. They're dealing with a grown adult. And I I think that um, another thing that, you know, should be mentioned about, um, you know, the particular scene with, uh, you know, Goofy is that. You know, he deals with a lot more characters than in the first movie. You know, he's with Sylvia. He's with, you know, the, um, the he's with the Gamma team. He's, you know, sometimes with Pete. And sometimes he is, you know, focusing on, you know, getting his grades up so that he can be able to get his diploma. So, you know, the time that he is interacting with Max, he's just trying to help him fit in with school, even though that Max is already getting popular with his skateboarding tricks and his skills as um, a major competitor against the Gamma team. So, 
you know, I mean, like the whole, uh, you know, uh, you know, the way that Goofy is acting towards Max is, you know, I, I mean, it's not as understandable as the first movie in which, like, you know, he thinks that, oh, you know, Max needs to fit into school and he needs to, you know, focus on getting his diploma when in reality, that's not even his mindset whatsoever. So it just kind of like, you know, starts becoming a little bit more, you know, samey after a while. But then, you know, you have that trippy scene where, you know, Goofy is trying to concentrate on his midterm. And then you have that montage of the, you know, the, you know, that song, you know, come on, get happy where, you know, he's like imagining, you know, Max's fairies and then, you know, coming together. And then it just becomes like really frightening all over again with like, the montages of him getting fired and you know all that stuff and then finally when you know max tells him to get his own life and then his life essentially like falls apart because he lost his focus it definitely does still tug at your can't hit dramatic moments at points and i give it credit for that because it does show again like you know this this is what happens with a lot of people who deal with empty nest syndrome i guess especially single parents yeah that scene where uh that scene where they first, uh, where uh, Max first goes away to college and Goofy is left there holding this really great looking breakfast that he prepared for him. That's just, oh, my heart. This, this is like, yeah. Like, after all that trouble, the least you could do is eat some of his pancakes. Guys, like. Yeah, why would you pass up why would you pass up fresh pancakes? <laughs> yeah. yeah, pancakes, eggs, bacon, toast. Uh, tea from Mrs. Potts. <laughs> There's a cameo of Mrs. Potts in the table. And, um, you know, all he does is just like he drinks some milk from the fridge, he grabs a piece of toast, and he says he's going to go grab donuts on the way. And that's pretty much it. So, yeah, it's like. It's like very similar to like, uh, you know, how people said like, oh, come on, you know, Max, uh, go go with Goofy to this fishing trip. It's like, oh, come on, Max, enjoy this one last breakfast with your dad. You don't know when you're going to see him again. Yeah, that one, I guess that one is a little bit more different than uh than like in the first film because like it's like you're, you're you're about to get on the road and you see the you see like what they do they're kind of on the road for like a long time you really think the donuts are gonna like yeah no i'm i'm, I'm gonna be fine i'm just gonna stop at dunkin uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. like, no. i'm gonna stop by Panera like, and get <laughs> They haven't invented those breakfast sandwiches yet. You can't get that far on donuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, you have the... And then you have, like, more of the dramatic stuff going on with, um, you know, Goofy uh, upstaging Max, you know, during the preliminaries. And um, you have, you know, Max feeling defeated that, you know, he's going in last place and, you, you know, they made a bet earlier about like, you know, whoever loses the competition has to be each other's towel boy. So there's a lot of pressure in that scene. And, you know, you, we have that upstaging once again about like, you know, being compared to your father. It's like in the first one, he's ashamed of it, but now he's ashamed of it for a different reason. It's like, he's upstaging him in skateboarding, which he never thought that he would be because he sees him as like this incredibly, a clumsy, uncoordinated person, which he is, but he does he it. But he does it by being. It's very. Those sequences are very classic, goofy, and even the way the Gamma's cheats are reminiscent of something like Wacky Races or something. Which I honestly kind of like those scenes for that. What I remember about this movie, though, is that Disney really, really wanted you. That wanted to let you know that they own the X Games. 
Like, oh, yeah. it was yeah. all over this movie. That and the yeah, ESPN logo. Yeah, that's right. They do own ESPN. Yeah, because if you go over to, like, um, you know, Disney Springs, and, you know, there's a section where there's, like, this, you know, Disney bar where they have, like, ESPN playing all over into their television sets. So they want to let you know that, yeah, they own the rights to ESPN. I mean, I didn't, I don't... Mm -hmm remember like you know any other company being owned by abc and the other movie it's like oh you know this powerline concert brought to you by abc it's like no come on but yeah i I guess it does make a lot of sense because you know i guess it does fit in with the x games uh, approach that you know it's going to be run by espn so sure and uh you know you have even that scene in which when um you know when they're doing the competition and the the gammas are still cheating and you know they're able to overcome it and you even have uh you know pj being launched up into the air and you know they have to call goofy to help them out to you know finish the competition otherwise they would have been disqualified and then you know they're just like constantly cheating left and right you know they they have the uh pedestrians walking across the street and the you know untwisting the the bicycle and you know the rocket into the skateboard so yeah i mean like even with all of that um you know they were able to still you know become victorious and you know once again we have that lesson about how you know goofy was able to accept max for who he is and able to let him move on with his life uh patty i hate to uh I hate to stop the conversation, but I just got a call. They need me to go into work for a few hours from overtime, so I got to yeah, end yeah. this. Yeah, sure, sure. Go ahead. Um, yeah, if you can, uh, plug and promote whatever you want, Jim. Okay. Well, I don't really have that much to plug or promote. Um, I need to get back to some writing. It's been a while since I did that, but uh, as I was discussing with you earlier, one thing I've been doing while uh, a lot of social events are cut down is I've been, I've been learning some uh, magic and mentalism routines from, uh, from YouTube videos and magic supply sites. And I'm building up a repertoire of effects and hoping that uh, late spring or early summer, once it's okay to socialize again, I can perform a routine somewhere in my city. All right, awesome. Well, thanks for coming again, Jim. Thank you. You guys all have a good night. Stay safe and stay healthy. All right. Take it easy. All right. Uh, The one final thing I want to talk about before we wrap things up is that, you know, the soundtrack is mostly consisting of pre-existing songs, whereas in the Mm -hmm. first movie, it's mostly original songs. I don't know whether that the mentality of like the music was not forgettable. So they decided, hey, you know, we're going to be focusing a lot on, you know, you know, pre-existing songs from like the 70s. Maybe that'll draw people people more in so i don't know why but you know they have a lot of songs from the 70s featured in this a lot more than just writing original songs yeah well it's similar to the directed world that's that goofy is like in the in the picture and uh, then he's got this uh he's got his love interest as well so like it's all wrapped around that pretty much say what you will about the movie soundtrack the shake your groove bang dance is still pretty amazing <laughs> yeah not as mm-hmm. a great scene yeah it is for sure I think with like just like using all of those pre-existing songs kind of gives the movie um, its own. It gives because it already has its own separate identity than a goofy movie and like setting and I guess characterization. But I think even just like even that it kind of gives us its own like tonal difference and just like the way that it's handled. The fact that the characters aren't saying. 
Yeah, I think that is the case because, you know, it was focused in the first movie. It is focusing a lot more on like, you know, akin to what music was back then, you know, with the songs from Powerline. And then it tries to like bring in some other stuff such as the music from, you know, Lester's Possum Park. And then you have the more dramatic stuff with Goofy and Max. So I guess Mm -hmm. here because that the main, you know, one of the main messages or one of the main things in the movie was, you know, Goofy's relationship to Sylvia. So they're going to have a lot of songs featured from the 70s because that was where he was you know that was the time period that he was raised in so i guess that is uh you know it does make a lot of sense for them to have a lot more songs from the 70s even the end credits has uh you know some songs from the 70s yeah and uh, just just because you like uh brought up like the end credits the the last line of this movie well no i guess it's not the last line of the movie but it's the last line that max says i I think is one of my favorite last lines in like any disney movie where he says he is so goofy yes i think it's i think it might just be a performance thing and it might be an animation thing but just like the way that like that whole scene is set up i thought was really great yeah, I mean, like, it, it's a great way to kind of, like, close things off because, you know, Goofy was making a joke to Max saying, like, oh, I'm going to work here on campus and I'm going to spend more time with you. And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm just going to, you yeah, know, yeah, I'm just going to yeah. let you do your own thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, I think that, that was a good way to end things off. It's like, you know, Goofy and Sylvia are still going to go out together and, you know, Max is going to finish off with school. And, you know, that's kind of like how it ends. And it's a shame that we didn't have anything other to other movies to follow up with that. It's like, I would have liked to have seen like, you know, maybe Max getting married and having his own kids or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe Max getting his own job or something like that. So, you know, it's a shame that they never really followed up on this. Other than that brief cameo in twice upon a Christmas, that's all we got to see. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's the, that's the last time that we ever saw Goofy and Max together other than just, you know, stuff from house of mouse and twice upon a Christmas. That's, I guess, you know, they, I don't know why. I mean, maybe, I I guess they are going on a different direction with like, you know, the Disney characters. I mean, they have those new Mickey Mouse shorts where they Mm -hmm. have Goofy portrayed, you know, something very different than I've ever seen him in. Goofy's like a, like, he's like a crackhead in those. Like, I don't think you could like, (laughs) honestly, (laughs) he eats Mickey and Minnie in one of them. That is true. Why? I mean, he it's, like, it's I know, like, he doesn't, it's he doesn't wear pants and he just yells the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> And, and in one of the shorts that I remember seeing of that, you know, where Goofy, you know, falls in love and then Donald and Mickey are trying to like, you know, make him more looking more attractive. And Donald tries to get, you know, Scrooge McDuck to give him a million dollars and stuff like that. And then it turns out he's in love with a sandwich. So, mm. yeah. It's it's weird. I mean, it's a different interpretation of Goofy. I'll give you that, but it's just very strange. I'll just have I to never, say that. I never thought about it that much until like having this conversation. But they did kind of they worked all throughout like the '90s and the early 2000s to like build up Goofy to have such like a, a complex character. And, yeah. Like, they just kind of like yeah. <laughs> they kind of like set restart like when they uh when they did these new ones. It's kind of akin to like how he used to be in the really early shorts where he was just kind of designed to annoy Mickey. Yeah, exactly. Where he used to like, you know, mess Mickey up whenever they would like go into various adventures, whether it's mm-hmm. the haunted house. Or... Yeah. I mean, like they do have this new interpretation of Goofy where I guess they decided to bring him back to basics and make him a little bit more uh, over the top, 
which, you know, again, it's perfectly fine. I mean, they kind of did the reset thing when, you know, a Goofy movie came out compared to Goof Troop and, you know, all the 40s shorts. So, you know, it's fine. You know, that I guess that's, you know, that's how you like, you know, bring the character um, you know, continue to like refresh him for a new generation, which is fine. But I still would have, I, I still would like to see at least one more Goofy movie with Max and focusing on like something that Max is going through that Goofy would try to like, you know, either be involved in but mess up or try to understand from Max's perspective that, you know, he needs to, you know, let, you know, lay low for a little bit or something. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I personally would like to see it what they did with Goofy in a Goofy movie is kind of comparable to what they're doing with the cast of DuckTales with the new reboot. Because they're really trying to flesh out the characters a lot more than they were in the previous show. The previous show was fine, but they're, re- but they're really making, a, making it a lot more character-driven in the reboot. And yeah, you're right. Much like, more I so actually, than the original series. You're right, because I could actually tell the difference between Huey, Dewey, and Louie for once. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, even in the original shorts, like, when they, whenever they pester Donald Duck, I could never tell them apart because they sounded the same, they even dressed the same, they look the same. And I guess a bit with DuckTales, you know, I could sometimes tell them apart, but not all the time. At least with this new one, I could actually know the difference between the three. And, you know, I think that you're right. Maybe that they are doing the same thing to um, DuckTales, what they did for a Goofy movie, in which they're trying to flesh these characters out and make them completely different, which I could definitely appreciate. I mean, we saw what they did with um, the DuckTales characters. They did the same thing with Launchpad and Darkwing Duck. And, um, you know, there's still, like, little bits of cameos here and there from, like, Chip and Dale. And, um, uh, you know, they're going to probably do Tailspin next with that same mindset. So, yeah, maybe that's the direction where they're going at. And I'm actually really excited about it. They put out, like, a promotional poster for Comic-Con, I think, last year. And, so, and, and they had uh, Goof Troop Goofy was in those posters. <laughs> It's I don't basically know if, becoming. I have been watched Ducktales in like a really long time, so I don't know if he's there now. Ducktales is basically becoming the Disney Afternoon Cinematic Universe at this point. It is, yeah, you're right. I mean, like you know, now people are like clamoring to say, you know, where's the Darkwing Duck reboot and where's the Tailspin reboot? So, yeah, I mean, like I'm just genuinely curious about how this is going to turn out for sure. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it uh if you have any final words to say about either of these movies right before we go no i think i think we covered everything pretty much so okay yeah i think they both work like uh really well at like the stories they're trying to tell i think uh, an extremely goofy movie is a lot more clumsy um than a goofy movie is um but as a package and when you look at these two films and you kind of take them in once you get past all of the like X Games stuff and like, you know, all that really heavy uh, marketing stuff and all the gimmicky, like, kind of datedness of the second one. They really kind of uh, work as like really nice tales of like a father and a son. And it shows just how, um, how much like went into like caring about Goofy. Much more went into him than like I think any of the other uh, members of like the original, like, uh, Disney characters, they kind of like, there kind of was this conscious decision to like uh, make him really well rounded. And I did respect that, like, after after these movies, they kind of, once they aged Max up, they kind of kept him aged up aside from 
was Once Upon a Christmas. I think it's the only time he's like a kid. But yeah. like other yeah. than that, they kinda yeah, they kinda held him to um, you know, being like in his twenties. You see him again in Twice Upon a Christmas, you see him as like the usher in like House of Mouse. And they don't right. really have any opportunities to bring him back to show how uh he's grown. But I feel like if they ever did bring him back, it would almost kind of be it would be weird if they didn't like have him as an adult because that's just how so many people know him now, you know, like if either an adult or a teenager. Like Yeah, exactly. Goofy movie, an extremely goofy movie have like transcended so much that like if we kind of go back to Goof Troop, it'll just kind of be a little like daunting. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's kind of like with Pebbles and Bam Bam from the Flintstones. It's like, you know, there's been many interpretations of them. They're they're the babies, they're the teenagers, they're the adults, they have mm-hmm. kids. So, but more people are familiar with like their baby forms, but right. you know, um but you know, the fact that, you know, we've had them in different ages is like, oh, you know, we're more familiar with this one than the other one. So, I guess it's kind of like the same thing with Max. It's like, you know, we've seen him as a kid, we've seen him as like a teenager, we've seen him as a young adult, but you know, more people are more leaning towards one over the other. So, yeah. um you know, it's actually I mean, I doubt that they're going to include him into the new Mickey Mouse shorts, but um, you know, whatever, you know, whenever the next time that we do see Max, uh, we'll just have to see where what direction they'll take him in. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, so thank you guys so much for coming on by. I really do appreciate it, guys. No problem. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, no yeah, why don't you guys uh, please uh, plug and promote your stuff. Where can people find you at? So, um, uh, go ahead, um, Tariq. Where can people find you at? Um, Toonrific Tariq on, uh, on YouTube. I do uh, analytical videos on cartoons. I mainly try to focus on stuff that I like just because, like, that just kind of seems more fun. It seems more fun for everybody. Um, I'm, o- I'm on Twitter at uh, my initials TSH678. And, and um, yeah, I kind of I kind of fell back a little bit just because I got, like, really bad, like, writer's block. But, like, I'll be back soon with, like, a bunch of different, like, videos I've been working on. All right, awesome. Uh, Eli, what do you got? I still do cartoon reviews, even though I'm. it's more Patreon-requested stuff nowadays, although I am going to come back to some st- things that I am still passionate about. You can still find me on YouTube at The Hero of Tomorrow and Patreon under the same thing, and I'm on Twitter at Cartoon Hero Guy. All right, and uh, Aaron, please plug and promote your stuff. Uh, you can find me at uh, facebook.com forward slash Aaron Matters Show. That's A R U N. M-E-H-T-A-S-H-O-W. You can also find me on twitter.com forward slash aramessashow.com and also Instagram is at aramessashow as well. All right. And uh, you can find me on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash oldschoollane, facebook.com slash oldschoollane, um, Twitter at patty underscore b underscore Miranda. Uh, I post my podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast. You know, I'll be archiving my old episodes on Anchor and Spotify and all those places. New episodes of my podcast will be up on those sites first, right before they go up onto YouTube. So if you're listening to this on Anchor, then expect the YouTube version to come out in a few days. So, uh, so yeah, uh, that should be it, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, let us know in the comments below about your thoughts on either of these movies. Um, which is your favorite? What is your favorite moment? What's your favorite song? Would you like to see a continuation of Goofy and Max? So that's it. Hope to see you around soon and take care. Ba, ba, na, na. Ba, ba, ba. 
For the first time ever we've seen 